Okay, Parsha Shalach. Shalach is the Parsha, the Torah portion, where most famously known for the sin, I should say, of the Jews sending the spies into the land of Israel. The spies come back. They say negative report. They give over a negative report on the land of Israel. And it really goes downhill from there. And we're going to cut our introduction short, okay? And now we're going to give the floor to everyone who has already muted themselves, and we're going to ask you guys, what, if you had to guess, or perhaps hopefully have some education, so we'll call it an educated guess, what the greatest sin, or the sin was, the most significant part of the sin, of the story, of the miragrum of the spies. Who could tell me what the most... Right? This sin caused the one of probably the most catastrophic consequences, perhaps um, um, trumped by the, the sin of the golden calf, perhaps, um, um, right? Perhaps the sin was, was um, greater than the sin of the miraglim. But besides for that, there's very little uh, competition with the sin of the, of the miraglim, of the spies. Now, what was like such a big deal? Why was it so bad? What was so bad? I mean, it was a sin. It was bad. But like 40 years in the desert, they were literally on the doorstep of the land of Israel. They were about to go in. And now 40 years later, the entire... My internet connection is very slow. Sorry. The entire um, generation got completely wiped out from anyone from the age of 20 to, to, to 60 got completely wiped out besides for two exceptions, the two um, leaders that um, managed to overcome the powerful temptation of saying negative report, giving over a negative report. What was so bad? Can anyone? They didn't, they didn't trust Hashem. They didn't, he said it would be a good land. He told Moshe Rabbeinu it'd be a good land. There was no reason for them to check anything. Okay, beautiful. So we're gonna we're gonna take that answer and we're gonna build perhaps a third of the class built on that answer. So one answer, which Linda so beautifully said, was is that Hashem promised them that it's a good land. So if Hashem promised them it's a good land. Why are you sending spies? And there's a lot of problems with that answer, which we're going to delve into later. But, but, but it's a good answer. It's one of the answers, one of the classic answers given. Did anyone think of any other answers, any other sins, or any other, um, how you say, subcategories or issues that happened during the story? Anyone? Alan, don't be so shy today. Let me hear you guys. Well, Caleb, the other oops, the other two checked, you know, checked in the past, and 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 checked um, Caleb and who was the other one? Yeshua, Yeshua, Joshua. Yeah. They they checked. They one went to the cave of um, what? Mash, mash, Machpelah, what yeah. Cave? Yeah, 
and and the other one they checked they they checked um and went back to their ancestors and and checked and didn't and got the strength got extra strength before they went into the land and so they they saw the land with different classes right amazing and they had we're, extra strength right amazing we're going to we're going to really delve deeply into that um soon amazing okay so if no one else is volunteering i get paid for this so i will volunteer the next <laughs> sin so the next the next one goes like this the first rashi first verse second verse that's the, <laughs> you guys are all volunteers <laughs> and god tells moshe saying send for you people men send forth men via suru as eretz kanan and let them scout out or as our school translate it let them spy out the land of kanan that i give to the children of israel ish one person ish one person which means one each in he- in hebrew when it repeats itself it usually in general it means it means one each literally means one man, one man, but here it refers to one person per shavit, per tribe. Okay? Let's see the first Rashi. The first Rashi in the Chumash, in this week's Torah portion, says, Why does the Torah connect the last story of the last week's Torah portion, which is the story of Miriam. Miriam said Lashon Hara, gossip about her brother, Moshe, Moses, and she got punished. She got leprosy, got tzaras. Not literal leprosy, not medical leprosy. It was a spiritual illness, spiritual sickness, but commonly translated as leprosy. And the question was Rashi's asking a question. Why are they directly connected to each other? Torah very often links these two stories together for a specific reason. The Torah says like, the, the Rashi tells us as follows. She got punished for saying gossip about her brother Moshe. And these evil, wicked people Rashi calls them Rishayim, even though they weren't technically Rishayim, but they sinned tremendously, tremendous sin. These people, these tribe leaders, these Nisim that were sent, were the holy people. They didn't take the Musr, they didn't take rebuke from the story of from the story of, of Miriam. It didn't take rebuke from the story of Miriam. So Miriam just got punished. She just got zetzed because she gave, set over Lashon Hara. And what happens is, not a moment too soon, these leaders go into Israel and they do the same thing. So they say that there's a line that I, I try very, very hard to live 
my life by this phrase. And I don't know exactly the exact details of the phrase. I may have messed it up a little bit from the original source. However, the phrase goes something along these lines. Normal people or whatever it is, successful people learn from their mistakes. But the great people, they, they learn from other people's mistakes. And it's a key in life to differentiate between making mistakes, which is obviously, we're human, we all make mistakes, and it's at least incumbent upon us, at least, to learn from our own mistakes. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. However, the greatest people, they look at other people and they see, oh, they made a mistake that way. I'm going to be careful over there. I'm going to be careful over there. That's something that other people have messed up with. I'm going to take, take an ounce of caution when it comes to these things. And that was the, the gravity or the whatever you want to call it, whatever the word is, of the sin of the miraglum, of the spies, that they didn't take the rebuke from the story of Miriam. We see that Rashi's highlighting this. It's not necessarily the gossip of the Lashon Hara, which is a whole partial class in its own right. We don't really find in Halacha, as, a, as, as an aside, in Halacha, we don't really find any other concept or any other um, halacha of saying Lashon Hara, saying gossip over sticks and stones, over a place. It doesn't really exist. It's a very difficult thing to wrap our head around. We're not going to get into that. Perhaps the holiness of the land of Israel perhaps um, made it rise up, not necessarily considered sticks and stones, maybe it was holier. But be that as it may, Rashi is highlighting something fascinating. The main sin, at least one of the main sins of the Miraglim, was they didn't listen to the rebuke. Sometimes we have in our life so many things that happen and we ignore the, 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 the lessons. We have um, my friend. I, I, I haven't quite um, studied all of his books. I don't know exactly what I say inside of it. But he has a book. It's called Listening to Your Messages. That's what the book is called. And the book is basically um, messages from the parsha, different things. To, and the idea of, I think, of the book is, is that we have so many times in our life that things happen to us. And Hashem is sending us a message. And so often we ignore them. There's a famous, uh, not exactly connected to this, to this uh, topic, but very, very similar idea. Story, probably more of a parable than a story. Story probably never happened. Um, I would say it certainly never happened. It's almost certainly a parable. However, you never know. I heard it as a story. Once there was a guy, he was shipwrecked. His ship, whatever, sunk, I don't know. And he was sitting there treading water in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And he cries out to Hashem, Hashem, please save me, save me, save me. And lo and behold, a lifeboat starts floating by. And Hashem, and, and, and he looks at the lifeboat. And he says, don't worry about it. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And the lifeboat moves on. And he says, Hashem, Hashem, please save me, please save me. And a little 
big log of wood floats by, and again he lets it go by. He says, Hashem, please save me, Hashem, please save me. And if I was a real darshan, if I was a real speaker, I would make this story take 25 minutes. However, um, we have much more to get to, so we will um, cut it short. Anyways, make a long story short, uh, eventually a helicopter comes by, lowers the rope ladder, and he says, no, 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 no way, I'm in good hands. And then he says, Hashem, Hashem, please help me. And fast forward, um, whatever it is, a couple of minutes later, an hour later, and he's in heaven, in the heavenly court. And he says, Hashem! Hopefully, I'm being dramatic for the story. Hashem, I cried and cried and cried and begged you for help. How come you didn't help me? And Hashem says, who do you think sends you the ladder? Who do you think sends you the lifeboat? Who do you think that you are? I tried, I tried, I tried. You didn't let. You didn't want to take it. So the, the, the nimshal, the, the lesson is pretty clear, is that Hashem doesn't come down with a big name tag saying, this is God. Here, I'm here to save you. Hashem doesn't do that. Hashem has messengers. Hashem sent the ladder. Hashem sent the lifeboat. And in life also, sometimes in a bad way, sometimes when we need a rebuke, Hashem doesn't come and a lightning bolt. This is for you to remind you to never stray from a path. Sometimes Hashem sends COVID. COVID. Hashem sent COVID to remind us that he's in charge. He's in control of the world. And never forget that the whole world can be completely overturned for three years or two years or whatever However many years it is, was, is still going through it in, to some degree. And Hashem is telling us that. And we have to take the, 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 the lessons and, and, and listen to the messages. That's the, the, the primary, I'm using COVID as an example, because that was the, the clearest um, sign in, the, in recent history. Wars that are going on now. We thought we lived in such a peaceful world. And from one day to the next, <coughs> What is it now? 18 months? One day to the next, the whole Russia, Ukraine, the whole world is in turmoil. And, and we thought we lived in such a happy, wonderful world. Hashem, Hashem runs the world. And he reminds us that every once in a while. <coughs> That's the first lesson. To remember that we have to sometimes, we always have to actually pay attention what's going on around us, to other people. Sometimes Hashem um, creates an illness. It's not directly connected to us. Someone else, someone you don't know. And then we should take that to heart and say, thank God he didn't send it to us. Now, let's take the lesson from that person and, and imagine what it would feel like. Then think, well, maybe we should try to use that as a, as a vehicle to repent and then come closer. Okay, that's the first thought. Now, we're going to go back to the idea that Linda brought up before. Which is the idea of the sin of not trusting Hashem. Okay? So I want to read you the second verse of the Torah portion. If you do have a Chumash in front of you, which I know some of you do, it would be worthwhile reading it inside. Page 798, 799. Top line. Shlach send um, forth men. Really, it should send, send to you men. Lacham means for you. Men. 
I'm not sure if Yeshu has as Canaan and uh, scout out or spy out the land of Israel, the land of Canaan. That I will go and give it to the Jewish people. So, what was the sin? What was wrong? God literally commanded Moshe to tell the Jewish people to send spies. So, what was the sin? So, Linda brought up a very, very important point that they should have trusted Hashem, but Hashem commanded them. Hashem commanded them to send spies. Hashem spoke to Moses saying, Send forth men. Right? How, how, how can you mess that up? How, how, what happened there? So, in order to glean a little bit more information, there is in Sefer Devarim, the last book, the, the Torah basically goes and summarizes almost all of the laws and a lot of the stories. Motion in the beginning gives rebuke to the Jewish people for a lot of the sins that they did, telling them all these sins that you did in, 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 uh, in the desert, don't be like this when you go to Israel. Be better. Don't fall into the same trap again. And he lists all the sins. A lot of them are hinted out. They're not necessarily clear. Rashi has to explain them all. But if anyone has a chumash, they could jump to Parshas Devarim, page 944, 945. This is Devarim, chapter 1, Parak Aleph, verse 22. Rabbi Shlishi. It's like the fourth line from the top. It says, And all of you, Moses, Moses, Moshe is talking, all of you, Jews, came charging towards me, approached me. And you came over to me with a request, send forth um, um, spies. Etc. And we go to the next verse. And this was good. It was appealing in my eyes. And he took 12 um, spies from each of the 12 tribes, 12 people, one each. And that's the story. So we see over here that God did not command them to send spies. Rather, the Jews came to Moshe requesting spies, and Moshe acquiesced. Moshe said, yes. So what's going on here? What's the deal? Did God command them, or did was it their idea? It seems like a a in, in by us we would say in the morning in the morning seder we would say it's a bomb kasha, it's a bomb question. What is going on here? Whose whose idea was this? So Rashi tells us. It was appealing in my eyes, says Moses, Moshe. In my eyes, below, but not, not in the eyes of God himself. So Rashi then asks the obvious question. If it wasn't appealing in God's eyes, it was only appealing in Moses' eyes. Why didn't Moses, why didn't Moshe let them go? Why didn't Moshe send them? Shouldn't Moshe have said no? God didn't necessarily agree. Rashi says something fascinating. Rashi says, he gives a parable, and I'm going to adapt the parable to 21st century because it's not quite relevant today, but it's the same parable. 
Rashi gives a parable as follows. Imagine you go to a, your friend and your friend says, you know, I'm looking to sell my car. And you say, well, I'm looking to buy it, a car. And your friend's a nice guy. He's a good guy. And you ask your friend, um, nope, can I take it for a test drive? He says, sure. He says, can I take it on the highway? He says, sure, take it on the highway. He says, can I uh, take it to your mechanic to check it out? Says, sure. Can I take it to my mechanic to check it out? Sure, no problem. Whatever you want, do it. And then you say, you know what? I'm good. And you give him the money and you buy the car. Why? You trust him. If there was something wrong with the car, he would be wary. He wouldn't let you take it to your mechanic. He wouldn't maybe let you drive on the highway. He's trying to sell you something, right? Used car dealership, trying to sell you something fishy. But clearly, he's happy to let you go. So Moshe was confident that if he says, yes, 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 no problem, the Jewish people will be okay and they won't actually send the spies. So he acquiesced with the intent of not having spies, rather saying, okay, you know what? Whatever you want, it's good. It's a good land. I promise you it's a good land. Don't worry about it. But the end result was that they forced him basically to keep his word and send the spies. Okay. Question is, sorry. I just swallowed. I just swallowed a piece of ice. I apologize. <laughs> so basically, the question then goes as follows: If anyone follows anyone's anyone's bar mitzvah parsha this week by any chance, if anyone knows what the haftorah is, the haftorah. I'm not going to go through the whole thing because, um, whatever, it's going to take too long. But basically, the haftorah starts off the right in the beginning of Nach. In the beginning of Nevi'im, in the Sefer Yahushua, the Sefer Joshua. What does Joshua do? He sends spies to the city of Yericho, of Jericho, to spy it out, to scout it out. So right away, if there's, there's more depth to the question, but I'm going to move on from the, from the next step because it's not as important. And I want to catch, I don't know if I'm going to have time, so I'm just going to get cut, to the, cut, the, cut to the chase. So right away, the question jumps out on you. If spies are so bad, why was Yoshua? Why was Joshua sending spies? And this week, we, we read it this week in the Haftarah. Anyone's paying attention in the Haftarah, when you go to Shul, if you go to Shul, when you go to Shul, you will read the Haftarah that he sent spies. Who were the spies? Kalev. Kalev was still alive. And, uh, and uh, Pinchas. Pinchas. Everyone knows Pinchas. Those are the two spies. What's he doing sending spies? What's going on here? So clearly we see from there that on face value, at least, sending spies was not necessarily a bad thing. And again, we mentioned before, there can be other issues what happened here, not particularly connected to the fact that they sent spies. Other issues, right? The fact that they didn't listen to their messages, like we said before, that wasn't applicable then. However, we see from here one thing certain, that sending spies in a vacuum was not necessarily a bad thing. So why over here was it so bad? Why was it so bad? Furthermore, why didn't Moshe let them go? Why didn't Moshe let them go? If Moshe knew that they were sin, he says, you know what? I'm going to acquiesce. I'm going to let you do it because you forced my hand. 
why does he? Why did he let them do it? Fall into such a trap? You messed them up for forty years. Why did he let them do it? What's the point? What was he hoping to accomplish? Did he not know? Aha. So I heard there's there's one very, very famous answer to this question. Just to go through the classic sources, one very famous answer. There's another answer that slightly more famous, slightly less famous, I should say. And there's a third answer that I heard that was completely brand new. I'm going to say them backwards because the, 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 whatever, it's one of them segues into the next piece. So we'll say it backwards. So the one answer. was as follows. Yoshua was the prized disciple of who? Of Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu was convinced that this Miraglim would never sin. They wouldn't sin. And even if they would sin, because there's room for them to sin, like the, God tells them, don't go, don't send them. It's not worth it. And if you do send them, I'm not going to protect them from sin. Well, they'll They'll be open to sin. I'm not going to guard them. I'm not going to shield them. So why was Moshe so confident? Yoshua was his prized disciple. Yoshua would stand strong, certainly. And just in case he didn't stand strong, we'll see in a moment, he gave him a blessing. Okay? And no one else will dare go against Yoshua's words. Yoshua was the the was, was the, the prized the Great, great, great scholar. No one would, 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 would dare say anything against them. So Moshe Rabbeinu thought. And now I want to read you a fascinating Rashi. Almost everyone reads this Rashi differently. I heard it from Rabbi Wine, Rabbi Beryl Wine. Most of you are familiar with Rabbi Beryl Wine. I heard a fascinating twist on the Rashi. Moshe Rabbeinu changed the name of Hoshea, Yahushua Benun, changed it from the word the name Hoshea to the word Yehoshua. Why? Rashi says he was nervous that he would get caught up in the Miraglim and the spies. So he prayed for him. When we pray, a lot of times we pray for someone. It's a very common Jewish um, theme, Jewish custom, especially in the Torah, we find it. But and Hashem um, prayed, Hashem blessed someone, changed their name. When we pray for someone, someone's very sick. We want to change the, the muzzle, so we add a different name, etc. Because the name represents the essence of a person and the muzzle, the, the all these different things, a lot of esoteric stuff, a lot of uh, Kabbalistic stuff that I can get into. But Moshe changes his name to Yehoshua. What does the word Yehoshua mean? What's the difference? It's an extra Yud. Ka, the name of Hashem, Yah, Ka, Ho, Yoshiacha, should save them or him or them from Atzas Miraglam. Normally it's interpreted as Hashem should save him and single him out from getting caught up. Why him? We'll get to later on, hopefully again. A second uh, explanation. But Rabbi Wine flipped it backwards. It says like this. Hashem, he wasn't praying that he should be saved and excluded from the sin of everyone else. Rather the opposite. He should be able to be powerful enough and strong enough to save everyone, to save everyone from sin, so that they should be look up to him and say, Oh, I don't want to go against Yoshua's words. So God saved them all with his strength. And it turned out, 
at the end of the day that it wasn't enough because when they all came back and they gave the negative report, what happened? 10 against 2. 10 people are saying negative, negative, negative. And yes, Yerushua did stand strong. He did say, it was good. And this um, land of Israel is a great, great, wonderful place. But at the end of the day, 10 against 2, it wasn't enough to sway the Jewish people. They listened to the 10 against the 2. That was That's the first answer. Perhaps uh, 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 a new a new twist that no, none of you ever ever heard of before. This is the first time I've heard of this twist from Rabbi Wine. The second answer is a much more classic, simple answer: is that if you look in the verse, God or even the Jewish people, they they really there was all, how many spies? I'll go back. I'll, I'll say it like this. How many spies did Yoshua send to Yericho in the Haftarah? Did anyone remember what we said? Two. Two spies. Two spies. He sent Pinchas and Kalev. Okay? Why two? Perhaps one would have been tricky because you never know. In Jewish um, law, um, Adem, witnesses are two, a pair. That's enough. What other reasons why two is the minimum? Why 12? So the answer why 12 was because each tribe needed a representative. Every tribe would have said, who says it's good for us, right? So Moshe sent for 12 tribes. And what happens when you have two Jews, you know, the famous joke, two Jews, three opinions. So 12 tribes, you have 12 opinions. But a lot of times we, we the, the, the simple explanation of the sin of the Miraglim, the sin of the, of the spies was that they all said, no. We don't want to go to Israel. But it's quite possible that it wasn't so drastic. It wasn't so dramatic. Rather, the every single one of the spies represented a different tribe, a different shevet. And each one came back saying, this is not exactly what we need and what we want. The, the, the land doesn't represent our needs an hour it's like almost like um elections in israel you have like 15 parties so here there's like 12 parties every party has their own little niche where they represent right and you end up and they ended up with a very fractured result because 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 we had 10 people that refused to to accept the general idea that god promised them that it's going to be a good place like Linda mentioned before, the only two people that just ignored the whole looking at the land on a personal level of what their tribe needed, those were Yoshua and Kalev. And looked at the land and said, this is what God wants us to be. And we are coming here to report what we see. And they said it objectively. The other people that looked at it and they said, I don't know if it's exactly for us. This land, maybe for them is better. And I mean, we don't need to take any lessons. It's, just, it's a nice answer. But sometimes we see in, in life, right? Obviously, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to say that democracy is a bad uh, form of government. The famous uh, Winston Churchill line, right? The Winston Churchill line goes, um, right? All, form, how does it? all forms of government are evil, but democracy is the lesser of all evils. Something along those lines. The idea is, something along those lines. The idea is that, 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 that there's a big one of the big issues with democracy 
is that we give a, a we give the podium, we give the stage to 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 so many people that really don't deserve to be on stage because a lot of people are 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 are, are simply put better off with a with a monarchy, a good monarchy. Now, monarchy obviously has the clear pitfall of being uh, of corruption, the greatest corruption ever. And obviously, right, there's always a balance and everything has its milos, its benefits and its chesronos and its drawbacks. But one of the main drawbacks of a democracy is, is that, especially as America for some reason doesn't have this issue as much, although it does have this issue, nothing gets done because everyone's busy fighting all day. But in Israel, you have it 10 times worse. You have 15 uh, uh, parties. So then 10 times, or as I say, a tenth of what gets done here gets done there. That's an issue with that. Either way, that's the idea over here, where they try to, to, to have a positive view of the land and just, they just couldn't pull through. The last thought, which is perhaps the most famous thought, goes as follows. These Nisim, these were the 10 tribe leaders. 12, I'm sorry, 12 leaders of the tribes. Zohar tells us, Zohar tells us what was the sin of the Moraglim that they knew that they were going to lose their job in the land of Israel. At least to some extent, they will lose their prominence. For whatever reason, perhaps because there would be a kingdom so there would be less of a need for the for the, the tribe leaders. Um, perhaps there are other reasons, but they were going to lose their prominence. So therefore, when they walked into the land of Israel, they had everything was tinted. They saw everything with tinted lenses because they didn't want to go to Israel. They wanted to stay. They wanted their jobs. They wanted the prominence, the prestige, prestige. Power. Obviously, we're talking about great, great, great people. However, Rashi, the first Rashi, calls them Rashaim. They call them wicked people. Because even great, great, great people, when they make really bad mistakes, they're not excused. And they're, he's called, they're called Rashaim. They're called evil, wicked people. And we should always be, always have to be very careful with our life to remember that as, as, as holy as we are and we may be, and as much as we work on ourselves, there's never, ever, ever a time where it's okay to be stagnant, to be um, happy where we're at, with where I'm holding in a spiritual way. Because there's always room to fall, and especially when it comes to cover, when it comes to honor. In fact, that I don't, know, I don't remember who, which sage that was set upon. It was one of the great Muslim leaders. He was like 70, 80 years old, and they asked him how he conquered his gates of horror. I don't remember exactly what the... Oh, no, I, think, I think it was of Chaim Shmulevitz who says this. I think it was of Chaim Shmulevitz. And they said, all my other gates um, um, of all my other evil inclinations, I don't have to worry, with any, worry about it anymore. I don't care about anything anymore. I don't have any, anything else. Nothing else except for one. And this one gets worse and worse and worse every day. This is the evil inclination for covered for honor. All the other things, they die down as they get older. But the, 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 the yearning and the craving for honor, 
that grows every day. Every day I live, it grows more and more. I have to be more and more careful. That's what he said. And this is the idea over here, basically. The idea that these people, yes, they were great, but they saw everything backwards. They saw everything to us. They saw huge, large fruit. What do they say? What type of ridiculous, wacky land is this? Instead of appreciating that clearly the, the soil and the nutrients were special, extra special, that they were able to produce such, such produce. They saw giants. And instead of imagining their children and grandchildren being giants, and perhaps something holy and special about the land that produced such giants, they said, how can we conquer these giants? They looked at everything backwards. They saw huge funerals, large, large, large funerals. And this insight I saw from a refrain. I don't remember who he quoted it from. And they said, this land is a land of, uh, that, that eats Eretz Ochela Soshvah. It's an Eretz Ochela Soshvah. It eats away its people. It kills its people. And my friend pointed out something so fascinating. I never thought of this before. The, the, the classic interpretation of this is, is that Hashem wanted them to be busy so that they wouldn't notice the spies. So he had a few, he had people die. So they were all busy with the funerals. They wouldn't notice the spies. That's the classic answer. But Rabbi Friend brought another powerful thought. He says, why are there multitudes of people by the funerals? Why are there tens of thousands of people at the funerals? Surely, if this was a common occurrence, every day there were people dying, surely you would be hard-pressed to find a minion. It happens every day, 10 times a day. Clearly, these funerals were not a common occurrence, right? We find in, in just as an example, in Lakewood, when you go to a bris in Lakewood, there's like a three-minute in-out, out to carpool, because you have every every day there's 25 percent, and it just it's a, you can't you can't keep track, and you get desensitized to the special simcha, to the special um, excitement of a bris. You come to St. Louis. And you have a brisk, that's you spend, you sit down, you, you have a bagel, you listen to the speech, because when's the last time we had a brisk? It happens every once in a while. That's so common. Right? When people are showing up to things, it means it's not such a common occurrence. When you have a wedding in St. Louis, a Jewish wedding, everyone's there. Everyone stays for the whole thing. You don't, you don't walk out before the end of the wedding. Obviously, unless there's some, some other issue, you don't walk out early. But in Lakewood, you go in and out, try to get the perfect timing exactly when the when the when the chas and the kala can see you. You get the handshake, you leave, and you bounce because it's it's a, you get desensitized to these things. So clearly, the death of many people was not a common occurrence because there were so many people there. But each and everything they 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 twisted everything to be negative. Every single thing that happened, they twisted to be negative, and. That is really the to, to sum up the whole lesson of the story is basically this idea: the idea of 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 recognizing. And I'm going to touch upon this. If none of you are, I don't think, are going to be in young Israel, but but I'm going to touch upon this idea. I'm going to get really get really down and dirty into this idea, delve into the depths of this concept of. Sometimes you have to recognize in Hebrew we call it negios. It's um, um, ulterior motives or or um, um, another word for it is um, gosh, whatever. Ulterior motives. And we have to understand and recognize that a lot of times we think we're being self-righteous. We think we're being so holy. We think we're being so 
so uh, um, 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 honest with ourselves, and yet sometimes um, you, all you need to do is ask a friend, or ask a rabbi, ask a teacher, but usually a friend will suffice, a good friend who will tell you the truth, and so often they will point out to us that we are so um, mis misguided by our own uh, uh, um, ulterior motives, whether it's prestige, whether it's money, whether it's laziness, whatever it is, they'll tell us, a, a good friend will tell you, um, why are you doing this? And you tell them, what do you mean? I'm doing this, it's the right thing, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, but don't you understand? Right? It's like the, the famous thing, right? The, the, the $10,000 that, that the guy owes you and you hound the guy, uh, I mean, whatever, $500, whatever the number is. And it's all right. It's, it's for the principle of the matter. I refuse to give in. And you drag the guy to court for, for three years for the principle of the matter, right? The principle of the matter. How dare he think he could swindle me out of my money, right? So my, sometimes it's just the money. And sometimes we convince ourselves that it's the principle of the matter. It's a famous... This is, a famous, this is actually a funny story. This actually is the this the, the punchline of the story is the principle of the matter. I'm going to end with this. This is a funny anecdote of how a holy rabbi was able to, with his ingenuity, was able to save um, a bunch of brothers who were fighting over inheritance. Um, and it just the same same idea, just totally backwards. But basically, there was a famous rabbi whose name was Rabbeinish Finkel. He was the he was the the of the mirror. He was from Nassim Svifingal. Um, everyone probably is familiar with him. He had Parkinson's. He was very sick for a while. He grew up in Chicago. Same high, sc high school as Dan, maybe, possibly, no, almost. Dan almost went to the same high school as him. I think. Told me that once. Um, he lived um, down the block from my, from from my in-laws. So he lived, uh, he grew up down the block from uh, Alan and Vivian's Mechutanam. Um, um, he literally lived down the block. Um, and he grew up there. And so his father-in-law, incidentally, had the same name, same last name. His name was Rabbeinish Finkel. So he wanted those three brothers that were completely, um, bitterly fighting for years and years and years. They didn't speak to each other. And they had this inheritance from their father. And throughout the whole, a very wealthy family. And there was, whatever the number was, let's just say there was a, a $100,000 um fight between them. So Rabbi Benish Finkel went over to three brothers. I'm going to call them Reuven, Shimon, and Levi because that'll keep the names easy. Went over to Reuven. He says, Reuven, you know, I just was speaking to your brother and your brother says you wish he could end the fight. But he can't end the fight. You know why he can't end the fight? Because he can't give in. But if you were to end the fight, then he would he would be happy. So his, his so his, uh, so, he, so Ruben says, I, me, I'm right. How dare they think they could swindle me out of my money? So he says, I'll make a deal with you. You say that, I, your brother says that they, you say, I'll do, you, you'll keep, you'll, whatever, you'll abstain and take yourself out of it. And you'll say that you'll donate the money to, to my yeshiva. Smart guy, smart fundraiser. Donate the money to my yeshiva. You'll be right. And you'll say if it's my money, I'll donate it to my to your yeshiva. And I'll go speak. I'll speak to the. I'll speak to your brother and see if he agrees. He goes to the next brother, Shimon. Says, you know, your brother Ruben, he really, really thinks you're right. 
he really, really thinks you're right, and you deserve the money, but he can't let himself do it because it's too embarrassing. But I have a great idea. If you donate the money to my yeshiva, I'll tell everyone that you're right. You donate the money to my yeshiva, and life's good, right? And he went to all three brothers, and he got each one of them to really believe that they were uh, they were fighting for too long, and it's worth it to, to give in, and etc. And make a long story short, he got all the brothers to agree. He took the money, he donated to his yeshiva, or maybe perhaps someone else's yeshiva, could be with someone else's yeshiva, and with that, just a little bit of ingenuity, he got all of these brothers to get on talking terms, and they all were convinced that the other one was the one who wanted to end the fight, and the other one really gave in to them, but didn't want to admit it, and they lived happily ever after. So sometimes it is the principle of the matter. But most often, most often, more often than not, it's not quite like that. And that's one of the lessons, the main lessons I think we should take out of the Moraglam. And sometimes we have to realize that we are we are um, um, sometimes we do have a twisted view of different things. It's not a bad thing. It's reality. And sometimes like the Mishnah of Perkyavah says, create, um, make for yourself a a, a, a rabbi teacher, cover and acquire for yourself a friend. Have a wonderful, amazing Shabbos, everyone. Thank you for listening and watching.